0: From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman.
1: And I'm Alexis Christophorus. Welcome to another edition of Electionomics. Myself and Rick Newman. We're so glad you're here with us. This week, we're going to be talking about small businesses and how they can survive this COVID-19 pandemic. Here to help us do that is Maddie Duppler. She's a fiscal policy expert and the founder and president of Forward Strategies. She also serves as a senior fellow For fiscal policy at the National Taxpayers Union, which is a nonpartisan advocacy group focused on budget and tax issues. And Maddie, it's great to see you here on the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, before we get into fiscal policy and small business and all of that, I do want to talk about a big thing that happened this week regarding the 2020 election. President Obama came out and officially said he is backing Joe Biden, President of the United States. At this point, how much? Does that matter, do you think?
2: Uh, Well, that's the question, Alexis, right? I mean, for months and months, you had Democrats clamoring that President Obama had stayed silent on the sidelines. No surprise, of course, that now there's only one person running on the Democratic ticket that President Obama is going to endorse that person, particularly because that was his vice president. But listen, I've said all along that uh, Joe Biden has a challenge in front of him, particularly when you look at uh, the Democrats uh, and how the primary played out here. You know, Joe Biden now represents kind of the, 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 the last era of democratic leadership. Also the Obama administration uh, for uh, several years, you know, the criticism of the Obama administration has been that the vacuum it created in politics allowed for President Trump to claim the title to the White House. So Joe Biden is going to have to explain how it is that he can move the party forward rather than governing from a position that I think a lot of people in the Democratic Party think is is somewhat of a bygone era. Uh, So Joe Biden with President Obama's Endorsement clearly still has to explain uh, what that legacy looks like and how he can vision from a forward looking perspective. The question is, does this change the calculus for any voter? You know, if you're a Democratic voter, you are going to turn out for Joe Biden. Uh, the question for uh, the 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 endorsement from President Obama is: Does it galvanize those voters who might have otherwise stayed home in trying to avoid the 2016 challenge that Democrats had? Uh, Joe Biden, I think, will not recreate a new coalition that is able to uh, defeat President Trump. What he needs is a strong showing from the Obama coalition. This endorsement could potentially do that for him, but I think it's a little too soon to tell, uh, given that Democratic voters are still smarting, maybe, from that somewhat bloodied primary battle that just concluded.
0: Hey, Maddie, I, I wonder if you're overcomplicating complicating um, Obama's entry into this race at all. Uh, to my mind, if Obama had been able to run for a third term in 2016, he would have won. Um, and one of the problems Hillary Clinton wa- had was that she felt she had to differentiate herself from Obama. I mean, he's the most popular guy in the Democratic Party. So Everybody knows Joe Biden is old and he, and he has, the, you know, baggage that goes all the way back to the 1970s. But it seems to me that um, Obama actually could sort of freshen Joe Biden and uh, maybe help generate a little bit of excitement where Biden does it.
2: So I don't know that that's true, Rick, for two reasons. One is the Democratic uh, demographics on the ground. Look at what happened to the Democratic Party across this country over the course of the Obama administration. You had over 1,000 seats at the state, local, and federal level drained from Democratic benches because of this criticism that the party was really lurching to the left and leaving a lot of these states behind that had a little bit more of a purple flare to them. Uh, so I'm not sure that it's true that Obama uh, doesn't still have have some of a challenge with explaining what the future of the Democratic Party looks like. It was enough for him to be the future. People trusted President Obama, Obama himself. But now that he's essentially acting as a surrogate for the Democratic Party, I think that message is a lot more difficult, particularly when you have someone like Joe Biden, who's been in politics for decades. And that, of course, raises the second point about why I think Obama has uh, some uh, contingencies here that he may not have had if he was running for a third term in 2016, which is that we're in a Completely different world, right? The post-Trump world when you're looking at when you're looking at politics is completely different than what we thought it was in 2016. Now you have kind of the Democratic and Republican parties fighting over these, this populist tenor that neither has really perfected, but has each has its own color to this. And we saw this with the Democratic primary. We see this a lot with the trade conversation here in Washington, where uh, our Republican president has basically rejected any Republican orthodoxy on trade and is really focusing on. More of a protectionist populist argument. Um, so I think that those challenges would remain for President Obama and they are certainly going to remain for Biden now as the front runner in the Democratic primary.
0: Hey, Alexis, you know what? I am so glad Maddie's here because I don't have to talk as much. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. well,
0: last, thing I'll, last thing I'll say on this is just that, as Alexis knows, I have a stake in uh, Obama's role in the election because I we did a podcast and I wrote a story at the be- beginning of the year saying these are the reasons Trump is going to lose, and my, I postulated at the time that one of the reasons was that Obama, who had been silent up till now, was going to get into the race and maybe not be a decisive role in, uh, who, in the Democrats' favor, whoever it turned out to be. We know it's Biden now, but that he would uh, help. So that's my that's my disclaimer for why I'm uh, I'm I'm sort of sticking with this theme that Obama that uh, I just said, Oh Biden, but uh, you know, I <laughs>
2: we'll see anyway. a lot of that I think over the next couple of months. <laughs> anyway, let's move
1: on. So but Maddie, I'm curious about those diehard Bernie Sanders supporters, because Sanders also came out, I guess, no surprise there, and also is backing Biden. But what happens to those voters? Because there was when things were sort of getting heated in pre pandemic, we were hearing that a lot of those supporters said, look, if it's not if Bernie Sanders is not the nominee, we're out. We don't see anybody we can really back. I mean, does Obama backing Biden move those people at all? What do you think they're going to do?
2: Well, what does it say about the Democratic primary that Bernie Sanders actually endorsed Biden before Obama did? I think that really is an interesting cadence of events over this past week. And of course, that will probably get a couple of those Bernie bros to hold their nose and vote for the Democratic nominee. But again, I do think Democrats really have a challenge here uh, where they're going to suffer from a low... Energy base that just doesn't feel that excited about turning out to vote for a Biden candidacy. Now, Biden, of course, has a ton of runway here. Um, Obviously, this exogenous event of coronavirus is going to shift uh, how the general election plays out and what's really at the front of voters' minds. So, that may potentially allow Biden an opening to really uh, communicate to those voters about how he would govern in a way that is appealing to them. Um, But that certainly is a challenge. I think that Joe Biden has both a problem with catering to the base and creating a coalition that Obama had while at the same time trying to pay attention uh, to the left flank of the Democratic Party, which up until now, I do not think has had a very cohesive, um, I think the party hasn't really had a cohesive message that they're giving those types of voters to turn them out in droves in November.
0: Hey, just one more question about these endorsements before we move on to small businesses. Elizabeth Warren still hasn't endorsed uh, Biden, I think. Um, What's her game, do you think?
2: So Elizabeth Warren, I think, is likely trying to now fill a void in Washington. Uh, Remember, when you're looking at the Democratic Party and you have these young voters who were very excited about ideas, they initially gravitated towards Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think that she thinks that she can really play a role, play a role in Washington, especially as we move forward and we have maybe phase four, phase five, phase six, phase seven, however many phases of a coronavirus response package we're going to have. I think Elizabeth Warren wants to have a leadership role there. Ultimately, I think she is going to be well positioned if in fact Democrats are Able to regain control in the Senate. I don't think that's likely this election, uh, but she certainly wants to continue to uh, uh, exert influence there. We saw Bernie Sanders try to do this uh, two weeks ago during the last final negotiations of the phase three package going into phase four. He made a whole list of demands, and everyone was kind of like, cool, Bernie. Like, what, like, what's your leverage here? What's the point of you trying to influence a Washington conversation when at this point you're still running for president? Uh, so I think Elizabeth Warren, first and foremost, is trying to avoid that fate of irrelevancy.
0: Biden, I think. Um, what's her game, do you think?
2: So Elizabeth Warren, I think, is likely trying to now fill a void in Washington. Uh, remember, when you're looking at the Democratic Party and you have these young voters who were very excited about ideas, they initially gravitated towards Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think that she thinks that she can really play a role, play a role in Washington, especially as we move forward and we have maybe phase four, phase five, phase six, phase seven, however many phases of a coronavirus response package we're going to have. I think Elizabeth Warren wants to have a leadership role there. Ultimately, I think she is going to be well positioned if in fact Democrats are Able to regain control in the Senate. I don't think that's likely this election, uh, but she certainly wants to continue to uh, uh, exert influence there. We saw Bernie Sanders try to do this uh, two weeks ago during the last final negotiations of the phase three package going into phase four. He made a whole list of demands, and everyone was kind of like, burning? Like, what? Like, what's your leverage here? What's the point of you trying to influence a Washington conversation when at this point you're still running for president? Uh, so I think Elizabeth Warren, first and foremost, is trying to avoid that fate of irrelevancy.
1: Hey, Maddie, we want to, uh, of course, talk about small businesses uh, during this pandemic and what the future looks like for them, because the future looks very uncertain for a large number of our small businesses in this country. We know we've got that stimulus package That many small businesses say they've been unable to really tap. They're trying to get these small business loans. There's been a lot of red tape. Um, And I'm I'm curious your thoughts when we do finally recover. I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems, though, we talked to a lot of of strategists here and economists at Yahoo Finance, and a lot of them are discounting this V-shaped bounce back. And some are saying it might be a lot choppier and slower going than that. Some are looking at a U-shaped recovery. I know you're thinking this could be more of a W-shaped recovery. Explain what that is and then what is that going to mean exactly, do you think, for small businesses as they try to navigate that recovery?
2: Right. So, first and foremost, the coronavirus crisis is a public health crisis. I want to be very clear on that. I am an economics person. I am not a public health official. So, I can't tell you exactly what the appropriate responses are in that regard. But I will say that we need to get a handle on what the public health environment is before we can even talk about what the most appropriate economic response is. But from my perspective, I do think we'll have something like a W shaped recovery because those two forces are in confluence with one another. So, I think that as we've seen, the data uh, indicates. We're getting a control over some of these infection rates and certainly some of the hospitalization rates in some of these hotspots. That is very encouraging, but we don't know how the infection is going to play out as it crosses the country. Hopefully, what we've learned from having these two different hotspots on the West and the East Coast is what practices work the best. Certainly on the West Coast, we saw containment go into effect uh, pretty stringently and immediately, and that seems to really be one of the ways that you can combat uh, an increase in cases. But what that means, right, is that if you have a very severe lockdown, you have very severe economic consequences as a result. So as we start to open up the economy again, as businesses start to come online, I think it's not just the public policy question of what that looks like that we need to get right. It's also how we prepare business owners to come back online. I mean, the majority of the businesses in this country, the majority of people, almost the majority of workers in this country are working for a small business. They're not working for a Fortune 500 company. So that means that that person who owns that small business, your boss, pro- might not have a a plan in place for how you slowly scale up scale back up after an epidemic of this proportion. So how do we prepare business owners to man- manage inventory, to manage customer flow that's going to be different than what they were expecting at this time of the year? I think certainly at the federal level, we need to have the Small Business Administration engaged on this level on informing and educating business owners so they can get back online slowly and not have to make the choice between shutting down completely and waiting for the next round uh, of federal aid. I think that is crucial as we consider what exactly exactly those next steps are, but I think it's also likely, too, that, you know, parts of the country are going to reopen while other parts of the country are still experiencing an increase in infections that will also uh, uh, contribute to what is going to look like more of a W-shaped economy because we can't have everything happening all at one time because the public health crisis will be happening at different times across the country.
0: Maddie, to your mind, um, I wonder if there's, uh, if you uh, can identify a couple of things you feel the Trump administration should be doing that it's not doing um, so the way this works is con- it, Congress has to appropriate money, uh, which they have done in that big $2.2 trillion bill. Um, and they, then they establish some rules and some guidelines. But there's a lot of leeway in terms of how uh, you know, the executive agencies then administer the programs that Congress has established. Uh, And we're we're seeing there are lots of difficulties with the so-called PPP, the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, which is meant for smaller businesses to protect their employees and so forth. Um, Is there some obvious thing that the Trump administration could do here to make this work better?
2: Well, I think that we have to be cognizant of all of the mechanics in play here. I have been very clear since the beginning that I think efforts like the PPP program are the best possible approach given the panoply of choices that we have. And why is that? Well, it's because it retains the closest association we have to a strong economy during this crisis. That means that a worker can still stay connected to their employer, even if they've been furloughed. That were, that employer can still continue to make payroll meaning that that worker has less disruption in their own daily finances and that uh, creates an environment in which that business can get online more quickly what I'm most worried about is employers across the country having to lay off all of their workforces and then when the public health crisis has a resolution all of a sudden these workers are trying these uh, these employers are trying to retrain and hire workers which is a huge burden not only on their bottom line but on their time and resources and we don't have the capacity for that if we're trying to get the economy back online. So I do think the PPP program is one of the best solutions we have, but you're right. The devil's in the details. It always comes down to execution. Uh, The Treasury and the Small Business Administration are working with lenders in order to get businesses to apply for those loans through the banks they're already using. I think that's a good first step because it doesn't require an employer who maybe has no relationship with SBA. They've never taken on an SBA loan before. They can go to their bank that they're already familiar with. The challenge, of course, is the banks and the small lenders in this country getting that information and being able to process the loans. That's where the hiccup has been because the the loans, the loan program that went into place has very different qualifications than usual. the usual SBA loans that these banks and lending institutions are used to giving out. So that's really, where there needed to be more communication to the small lenders and to even the big banks who still weren't online as of last week with some of these loans, how they qualify people for these loans and get that money out the door. Exigency is of the issue here. Uh, this next week too, we'll see those individual payments going out the door. That is something that uh, I had been concerned about because the last time we did this in 2008, it took weeks and weeks and weeks for those individual payments to make it out the door. Uh, thanks to the advent of direct deposit, taxpayers are going to be getting those more uh, more. Quickly now, they're going out in two weeks instead of three weeks, as Treasury uh, Treasury had previously anticipated. But that's what we need: we need an American public that sees a government that responds to the problem, and then people who feel the solutions in their own checkbooks immediately.
1: You know, Maddie, I've been talking to a bunch of CEOs um, who've been complaining about the stimulus package. A, they can't get the funds that have been promised, and then B, some of the contingencies, right? So they're saying that. You know, you can you can get these loans and get this help if you um, commit to keeping your payroll the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually spoke to the CEO of the hotelier Ashford, who had a furlough ninety five percent of his seven thousand workers, and he said it's just unrealistic for me to be able to keep all of those people on the payroll. I want to bring them back when we come up and run, back up and running again, but I can't do that now. So therefore, I don't qualify for this aid. He was also yeah. talking about we've heard from other CEOs too that some lenders are not willing to play ball here. He's talking about some of the bigger ones. He, he actually called out Brookfield and Prudential as yeah. just saying, no way, You know we cannot give you any sort of leeway when it comes to the payments that are due. Do you think that the government needs to go back and look at that program and fix things so that companies like Ashford would qualify?
2: I think there's two responses I would say to that specific circumstance. One is that in the CARES Act, uh, an employer who's already laid off their entire workforce, because again, remember, the exigency is is the issue here and these loans are taking too long to get out the door. So there's hundreds, maybe thousands of employers who've already made that decision to lay off their workforce. They can actually rehire those workers and still qualify for the loan forgiveness in that plan. So that's something to be aware of. Second, though, something like a hotel, I mean, the majority of hotels, even the big in this country are franchises. So they are uh, working with Different constraints depending on what community they're operating in. So it's not the same thing as you know a big, huge company that has tons of resources. A lot of these hotels are very much small businesses who who do still qualify for these loans. As a result, but that comes back to the point of execution. These lenders need to have the security that they the security to loan out to these uh, to these small businesses with confidence that they know they're going to get that federal guarantee. To my knowledge, that was part of the challenge with getting this online quickly was that the The lenders didn't feel that they had received the proper guarantees from the federal government to know that they could make those loans safely without them ultimately being responsible for them. They had received the proper guarantees from the federal government to know that they could make those loans safely without them ultimately being responsible for them.
0: There's a race against time element to all of this. Uh, You know, businesses need the aid money uh, before they uh, have to lay off workers and also uh, I mean, this aid money just doesn't go on indefinitely. I mean, that, it, it, this will s- sort of run out as well as time comes. So uh, look, look ahead to the fall, uh, Maddie. Do you think, um, the, I mean, the obvious question politically is, do you think overall this is going to help or hurt President Trump? And um, what does he have to do to get people on his side and make this crisis work for him politically?
2: Well, Rick, I think that it all comes down to confidence, right? I mean, we have a consumer-based economy. Consumer confidence has been a shining bright spot of what was the longest expansion in American history up until this month. Uh, That is what the Tr- the president is certainly going to be looking for how does he rebuild that confidence in the economy not only because it's an important lever that keeps the economy moving forward but that's what shows up in political polls right you're when you're asking people about how they feel about their economic circumstances a lot of the times it matters a little less about what the facts are on the ground and it matters a lot more their own sentiment and how they're feeling about their own cer- about their own circumstances so the challenge for the president right now is he doesn't want to end up in a situation like president obama was in 2013 and 2014 where all of the bean counters in Washington were telling us, well, look at the charts. The recovery is underway. We're in the throes of of an economic recovery. Everything feels great. And maybe that was true in the Northeast corridor, but the rest of the country certainly did not feel that way. And we we saw that in midterm shellackings, to uh, borrow President Obama's verbiage here, uh, because the rest of the country really felt like they did not have their their circumstances weren't being reflected in the narrative being told in Washington. So the president needs to be careful of that. And all the things we've talked to you about today making sure small businesses have confidence to continue to keep running and keep people on their payroll making sure consumers have fewer disruptions or as few disruptions as possible in their own personal finances and then having a plan that makes sense to people that uh, looks at both the public health perspective and the economic consequences of the of the uh, protocols we've already taken under under place and making sure americans feel confident that that will keep them safe and they can re-enter the economy when the timing is right
0: I would just add um, on that point, I think Trump has been terrible at that uh, all along. Uh, I mean, he has continually overstated uh, how good the economy is. We know he has underplayed the virus. We know that even now he has unrealistic expectations for when uh, the economy can restart. So that suggests um, Trump is not going to get this right. I don't know if you want to like, Go with that forecast, or uh, go against that forecast. Well,
2: Rick, Rick, you're always routinely more pessimistic than I am when it comes to these kinds of things. But I will right say, God, my, r- my reputation. <laughs> is
1: my, my big fear is exactly what Maddie was, you were just talking about. Is that you know for Trump, the economy was so good, the stock market was doing so well, and he would always talk about that and and say that it was because of him, and we could debate whether or not that's true. But there's a fear, at least from, from where I stand that he's going to want to push to get this economy up and running before we head to the polls in November so that we feel better about the economy, of course, risking perhaps health in, in the meantime and perhaps us falling back into a lockdown mode.
2: Yeah, listen, I mean, I'm from Wisconsin originally, and we saw what just happened in Tuesday with the political mess where both sides are to blame with how poorly that was handled with the election, with the primary election there. I do think we run the risk of that in November. And what is required to avoid that in November is confidence in what both the administration is doing now, and then what leadership is doing at the state level and knowing that those two are working together. I think that's the only thing that's going to get Americans feeling confident headed into November that what they're hearing is actually true. And those are the the facts uh, on the ground for them as well. So I think it remains to be seen. I think that you know you saw the first week of this. Uh, president Trump actually saw his his own approval ratings go up with the first week of response and uh, those press conferences that press conferences that were being held. As the weeks go on and as the press conferences get longer and longer and longer and they start to go to two hours and three hours every day, then you start to see those approval ratings drop again. So if the president wants to get a handle on this messaging, he He should be cogent. He should make a direct plea to the American people to follow CDC guidelines, guidelines, and then he should work in collaboration with state leaders who, by all accounts, are doing a pretty good job here. Look at Cuomo. People want to draft Cuomo to run for the Democratic uh, nomination now uh, in November. President Trump needs to work with those leaders, and that will, in turn, bolster his own political approvals.
0: Maddie, uh, this needs to be a quick one. We're almost out of time, but uh, since you follow tax policy Uh, If Joe Biden wins, um, do you have concerns about um, taxes under Joe Biden?
2: I do, and Joe Biden actually uh, provided one of the more moderate tax plans when he measured against the rest of the Democratic pool. But listen, I mean, even President Obama had suggested that we should be cutting our corporate tax rate, but he only cut it to about 28%, which is what Biden suggests doing as well. That's not going to make us competitive with the rest of the world. You add in that to the OECD average, it's not even close when you add in all of our state corporate taxes as well. Uh, And what we'll see as a result of that, I think is probably a lot of disruption as we're trying to get back online from the pandemic uh, a reversal on what we've done on taxes, I think, could be could be problematic for the American people at this point.
1: All right. Maddie Duppler, it's so nice to have you here on the Electionomics Podcast, founder and president of Forward Strategies. Promise us you'll you'll come back, okay? Of course. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, it was a pleasure. And be sure to rate and review what you just saw, everybody. And follow me at Alexis TV News. And me at Rick J. Newman. And Maddie, you want to put your Twitter handle out there? Yeah, I'm just M-D-U-P-P-L-E-R, M Dupler. Love it. All right, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for joining us, and we will see you next time.